Coming up next is this month's special series, Focus on Men's Health, on ReachMD XM157. Some relationships confer health benefits and others health risks. Married men and happily married women live longer. Could better sleep be a possible reason why? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Wendy Troxell. Dr. Troxell is a clinical health psychologist at the University of Pittsburgh in the Department of Psychiatry. She has received several awards and honors for her research from the University of Pittsburgh and from international scientific societies. Her work has focused on the link between relationship quality and sleep. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you for having me. Dr. Troxell, to begin with, why don't you fill us in on the concept of attachment? Okay. So attachment is probably one of the most important theoretical frameworks for characterizing relationships. It was started by the groundbreaking work of Bowlby, studied um, mother-infant relationships, and it's really about characterizing the bond between mothers and infants. And the idea is that some mother-child or mother-infant relationships are secure when the mother is consistently warm, nurturant, and responsive to the infant's needs. By virtue of a history of having this consistent responsiveness to the infant's needs, the infant is said to develop a set of internal working model or a set of cognitive expectations about the predictability of the caregiver's responses. So infants that grow up in, with a caregiver, uh, usually a mother, this model was developed in monkeys and then extended humans, but the infants that grow up with a mother that is consistently warm and nurture and responsive to his or her needs will come to expect out of relationships that they're likely to be warm, nurturant, and responsive. And those are said to be secure infants. And there's different categorizations for the insecure kind of attachment. But without getting into the specifics, because it's really not, I don't think, crucial for this type of work that I'm doing, relationship to sleep, insecure attachments basically are those in which the infant doesn't expect, cannot predict the response from the caregiver. And so attachments develop that are either anxious, meaning that they worry about the predictability that sometimes the caregiver is there, sometimes they're not. And so they can be very clingy, independent in relationships, avoidant patterns. They don't expect the caregiver to be there at all. So they simply, uh, as a coping mechanism, kind of push away and are uncomfortable and tend to avoid any close relationships. So these kind of expectations that are developed in infancy, according to the theory of attachment, develop these expectations that then transcend into adulthood and affect and influence subsequent relationships. Now, there's certainly not perfect stability between attachments in infancy and attachments in adulthood, but there is some correlation. And basically the notion is that there's in adulthood, and adult relationship researchers have kind of utilized some of the tenets of attachment theory to kind of characterize adult romantic relationships. So just as in infancy you can have uh, secure or insecure infants in adult romantic relationships, you can characterize adults as being more secure or more insecure on various dimensions. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, how does attachment relate to sleep? Okay, so at a theoretical level, It's useful to think about attachments in the context of sleep because sleep optimally occurs when one is able to 
physiologically and psychologically downregulates arousal. So you need to be able to kind of shut down. And if you think about sleep from an evolutionary perspective, humans have always slept in social groups, in part because of the physical sense of security that one gets when sleeping with others. Now, today, we don't, we're not, you know, our predators are not, you know, Bengal-toothed tigers, but we still need that sense of psychological security that tends to come from close relationships. So the reality is that most adults do sleep with a partner. So it suggests that kind of this human need for attachment and for feeling close, which is largely derived through the social environment, is really fundamentally implicated in sleep. So if you think about secure attachments, like I talked about before, these are the the relationships where you can predict that the spouse, now we're talking about adult relationships, if you can predict that the spouse is going to be there or the partner is going to be there and is going to be warm and nurturing and responsive, well, that's going to be an adult that is more likely to be able to physiologically and psychologically unwind from the stresses of the day. So that kind of secure attachment is likely to be sleep-promoting. On the other hand, let's say you are more anxious in your attachments and relationships are anxiety-provoking and you're worried about whether or not the partner is going to be there when you wake up in the morning. Well, this type of relationship may be detrimental to sleep, particularly when you're sleeping in the same bed with that person. Now, you've studied attachment and sleep in depressed women in particular. How did you go about doing this? I was fortunate enough to use an archival data set collected by Dr. Ellen Frank at the University of Pittsburgh. She had this really carefully selected and cohort of women with recurrent major depression. It was part of a treatment study. And in this study of about uh, roughly 100 women, they had measures of attachment using a self-report attachment measure. And they also measured these women, measured their sleep in the sleep laboratory at the University of Pittsburgh. So we had polysomnograms on all of these women. So I had a measure of attachment and a measure of PSG sleep in about 100 recurrently depressed women for this sample. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Wendy Troxell. We are discussing attachment and sleep. Now, Dr. Troxell, in the study, what were your results? So we found that, again, all these women were depressed, but in these depressed women, those that were characterized by high levels of attachment anxiety had lower levels of stage 3, 4 you know, kind of deep sleep as compared to their non-anxious counterparts. In addition, we found a significant interaction effect between attachment anxiety and marital status on stage 3-4 sleep, such that women who were high in attachment anxiety and who had divorced had the lowest levels of stage 3-4 sleep, suggesting that it was this combination of having this tendency to feel anxious in relationships combined with the experience of a relationship rupture was particularly detrimental to their sleep. Huh. It's interesting to me on a lot of different levels, but the one that comes to mind is a little tangential to me that, you know, one of the theories of fibromyalgia floating around is that they suffer from impaired stage three and four sleep. And I've never studied this, and actually I don't know that anybody has, but it just, you know, anecdotally in my practice, it seems that most of my female fibromyalgia patients are divorced. So you wonder if this isn't all linked together in some way. Yeah, well, and the issue is certainly 
kind of find the directionality of the effects because I also know mostly clinically that a lot of patients that I've seen with fibromyalgia and with sleep problems and with relationship problems, it's hard to say which comes first, but you can kind of make links in a number of different directions, whether it's, you know, chronic pain certainly is not, uh, you know, doesn't make you function all that well in relationships and it certainly affects your sleep, but whether there is some sort of underlying etiology is an excellent question and one that should be researched further. So what are your plans for future research in this area? Well, my particular interest is in the marital relationship because that's the primary relationship for most adults. And I want to extend this research um, to continue to use measures of attachment because it's such an important theoretical framework and it really does link up so well with sleep. But in addition to kind of these self-report measures of attachment, I want to understand actually the types of behaviors that individuals are engaging in in relationships that may be either sleep-promoting or detrimental for sleep. So I I want to actually study couples in the laboratory, have measures of their previous attachments and their current attachment ratings, and then actually observe and rate what they're doing and, and look at that in association with sleep measures as well as physiological outcomes as well. Now, Wendy, do you think the results that you found are unique to women? Has anybody looked at these issues in men specifically? There is another study that has looked at married men and women and attachment in relationship to subjective sleep quality, and they found that there was an association between higher levels of attachment anxiety and poor subjective sleep in both men and women. There's at least one study with subjective sleep to show that it's consistent across men and women. Mine is the only study that's looked at attachment in relationship to PSG sleep, and my study only looked at women, so I can't really comment on that. I will say, though, that in um, other research that I've done and others have done in the kind of broader research on relationships and health, there does seem to be this finding that women are more sensitive to both the positive and negative aspects of relationships. So women tend to benefit more than men from really healthy relationships, and they also tend to be more adversely affected as far as other physiological outcomes such as cardiovascular stress responses or stress hormones or inflammatory markers in unhealthy relationships. So in high-conflict marriages, women tend to show greater physiological responses. So whether that transcends to PSG sleep as well is something we don't know because the one study that looked at PSG and attachment was only in women. That leads me back to my original question, and that is why is the happily part of happily married seemingly more important to women than to men? I think it's certainly possible. One of the reasons I think the happy part of why it's the research seems to show that women who are happily married receive health benefits, whereas men simply who are married have health benefits and live longer. I think partly that can be explained by the fact that men do benefit from simply being married, from the status of being married, having a wife who is there, not to be um, overly generalizing, Mm -hmm. but traditional stereotypes do generally hold. Typically in, in our society, a man who is married is more likely to have a wife who is going to at least occasionally put a relatively healthy dinner on the table, may remind him to take his medication, may remind him to go to the doctor. These kinds of kind of health behaviors are supported just by virtue of having a wife. Women may not receive that as much from having a husband. In fact, 
just being married for women because of the responsibilities, the traditional responsibilities women hold in the household, just being married actually adds some degree of burden that can be compensated for when she gets the psychological benefits of being in a healthy relationship. So I think just the status of being married itself has some health benefits for men, given the roles in our society. But women really, for women, the stress of being in an unhealthy relationship is particularly detrimental, in part because of women's identity and traditional reliance on social relationships for their sense of self. Well, lots more to learn, isn't there? Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. Oh, it's really been my pleasure. We've been discussing depression, attachment, anxiety, and sleep with our guest today, Dr. Wendy Troxell. I'm Dr. Leslie Lund. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please come visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, presents a special series, Focus on Men's Health.